Have you ever been just so utterly amazed that pretty much your jaw dropped and your mouth flew open? Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever been so caught off or caught up by something that it just stunned you? And you stood there maybe gasping for breath and staring at whatever it was that amazed you. I have to tell you, every once in a while, uh, the creation that God has made does that to me. If I get to a very, very um, uh, cloudless, if I be at a place that there's not a lot of artificial light and I can look up into a starlit sky, there are times when the beauty of that and the immensity of that just makes me feel about this big. You ever been there? I've stood sometimes in places where I've just been amazed and the only place my mind can go is what a big God we serve. What an amazing God he is. I've had the privilege of being um, on top of mountains and looking down in the gorges and and it just looked like God took his finger and dug out a gorge. And then it's just so beautifully done. The water's cutting through there and and just only to me, only God could do some of these things. And there have been times where I have just my mouth has flown open and I've been so caught off guard. That's a little bit to me of the sense of wonder That is in the mind and the heart of the Apostle John, who is now an older man. He has outlived everybody else in his traveling circles. And what I mean by that is every other disciple by this time has been martyred. They're gone. They're not alive anymore. Peter has been crucified upside down. Philip is dead. Thomas is gone. All of them are gone. And here's this now older apostle. And he begins to think. About how amazing it is to him that the God who created the heavens and earth would consider making people his own. And he says, and it's as if he's pointing somewhere and saying, and in fact, in the King James and the new King James, the word is this way. Behold, what manner of love the father has for us that we would be called the children of God. And it's almost as if he's saying, look at that. Look how big that is. Look how enormous that is. Look how amazing that is. That God, who needs nothing, has no need of me, would let me be his child. And he talks about this love that God lavishes on people where he wants to be our father. That's how he wants us to relate to him. And and John is beside himself. So he's probably pointing a little crooked finger. You know, he's older and he's probably pointing a little crooked finger uh, metaphorically and saying, look at the love of God, how enormous it is. And you've heard me say this before. I think about God's capacity to love and my capacity to love and how much as a dad, I love my boys. And I do. I love them dearly. I I die for them in a second. Wouldn't even think anything about it. I just really do love them. And, and I think about my capacity of love and i've given you this analogy before it'd be something like me putting water in a thimble and if i wanted to compare my capacity of love to the love of god i would march that thimble full of water and i would set it down in front of the atlantic ocean and my love would be in the thimble and god's capacity of love would be the atlantic ocean and i just think about the the endless powerful love of god and it's that's what this disciple is doing he says look at it stare at it and be in amazement of the fact that we have a God who has a heart to be our father. He wants to make people his his children. 
And again, the New King James rendering of verse 1 of this is, Behold what manner of love the Father has shown us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. What a powerful, wonderful thought. You see, God's heart is to take people in, not as slaves, not as servants, not even as his stepchildren, but to make them his own child. We talk in the in the church about a doctrine, about a theology called the doctrine of adoption or the theology of adoption. And it's the idea that God takes somebody who is unworthy, sinful, selfish, stubborn, unholy, spiritually bankrupt. And he devised a plan involving his precious son who is perfect. A plan that would require his only son to sacrifice himself and suffer greatly, all to make children, his or people, his children. What God did to make you his child is amazing. Behold what manner of love the Lord has that he would make us his children. So I do want you to pause for just a moment and think about that love. We sang about it all morning. We talked about saying just a few moments ago, your love is deep. Your love is high. Your love is wide. Your love is amazing. The love of God. And I do want you to think about what it means for you today that God has a heart for you personally. Again, if you were to look in a mirror right now, I would ask you to consider the fact that God has a heart for you, that you would be able to relate to him by calling him your father. Abba. Daddy, that's his heart for you. We're in a series that we are calling Soul Shift. It's based on a book of the same title. It's been written. That's been written by Stephen F. and David Drury. And I just want to um, encourage you, if you don't have the book, get a copy of it. It is worth reading. It is worth going through. Uh, every once in a while as a pastor, I will find one and I will recommend it to you. And I would strongly recommend this book to you. Because um, it has been helpful and we're going to kind of travel. I'm preaching companion messages to some of the chapters or all the chapters in this book. This book covers a premise that's to me very important. And here it is in a nutshell. People often make a mistake about changing. I think we've all been in places in our lives when we say it's time for a change. You've got to change something. I was in that place not too long ago about my weight. I just decided I have to do something, man. I'm going in the wrong direction. I was headed up or and my, my weight was I, I kept gaining weight and I decided I have to change this. The, the trajectory of this isn't very good. I'm going to be very heavy if I don't stop soon. And that wasn't healthy for me. I'm, I'm getting to that latter stage in my life, you know, the latter third. So I, I thought I needed to do something. And so for me to make the change that I have to make in order to be more healthy, I had to do some behavior modification. Do you understand what I'm talking about? A little bit less this and a lot more of this kind of thing. You know, I had to do a lot more moving, a lot less eating. I had to control my portions. I had to get out there and exercise. I had to do the things that I had to do in order to drop weight. Is it fun? No. Is it a pleasant change all the time? No. It isn't all that much fun. But it was a necessary thing. And sometimes change works like that. But we get confused when it comes to how we can change what we are and who we are. 
And we think that that we need to change from the outside in. And when it comes to spiritual issues, when it comes to real change that is lasting and meaningful, what God is interested in is not transforming us from the outside in, changing your behavior so that you change inside because it doesn't work that way. God starts in the middle. God starts at the very depths of our soul. He makes shifts in the way that our soul works, our being. In the Bible, the word heart and soul sometimes is interchanged to mean the center of our being, that which of, of that part of us that is going to last forever. That part of us that is the real us. I, I performed, if you will, I shouldn't say that. I officiated performed. I officiated a funeral service the other day and, and praise God, a dear lady who is a believer, Dolores, and I got the chance to stand by that graveside and remind everybody that Dolores was not in that casket. That wasn't Dolores, that was her body. But Dolores continues. She is with Jesus Christ today. I got to remind everybody. It's an appropriate thing to go to a grave. And to kind of talk to somebody who has passed away. That's okay to do. But they're not in there. That's just their body. So what I'm talking about. That the part that the Lord is interested in. Is your soul. And he wants to make shifts from the inside out. The, The behavior changes after you change. And that's how God works. And there are shifts that God wants to take all of us through as believers, as children of his. He wants to help us make so that there's real deep transformations. And it happens when a Christian works cooperatively with the Holy Spirit of God who dwells inside of us. And so we're looking at how these deep transformations happen and what they are. And the last time I preached uh, out of this series, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about a shift that is called me to you. It is basically a shift from where a person moves from selfishness and self-awareness to an awareness of others and others first. That orientation and that change in the way that we think. Today's shift is an important one, too, because we're going to talk about a shift that the authors of the book called Slave to Child. And we're going to look at this together. We're going to be looking at what this shift really is. We're going to talk about why this shift is so important for us to make and then how one will make a shift like this in their soul. Let's talk, first of all, about what this soul shift really is. Although none of us would want to publicly acknowledge it. Many of us sitting here today would have to admit that we are quietly struggling. There are a lot of us here who have believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ sincerely and have received his forgiveness and have entered into the ranks of followers of Jesus. We have trusted him with our very souls. But the struggle is in this nagging feeling that we're still not pleasing to him. In our hearts, we feel like we're not Very good Christians. We're weak. We know the way we think. And it's not always good. We don't always do what we know we should do. And we don't always say what we know we should say. We walk around feeling honestly like fakes. We look at other Christians. And we watch their lives. And at least from our our seat. It looks like they got it all together and we don't. And we wonder why. We feel like we don't measure up. To quote a little bit of the book this week. Each of us is surrounded by a cacophony of voices that say things like, you're not good enough. You're not important. You're strange. 
you're unimpressive. Every time we fail at something in business, religion, or relationships, our suspicion is reinforced. I am a loser. But all the while, Christ is beside you saying, you don't know who you really are, but I do. You tell Jesus who you think you are, and he tells you who you really are. There is something afoot in some of our lives, and I want to say this to you. It's not from God. It really, I believe, originates in the heart of the enemy of our souls, the devil. There is this nagging feeling that no matter how hard you try, you cannot please God. And you're not good enough. You can't work enough. You can't read enough. You don't pray or sing enough or give enough to be worthy of God. And so you walk around feeling subpar and like you fall short all the time. And you know that you even sin sometimes. And you ask yourself, where is the joy that's supposed to be in my life? Because it feels like to you that our Father God looks at you and he scowls in disappointment or shakes his head sadly at your life. You're filled with guilt and shame. And there are days when it's overwhelming. And there is an insidious voice inside of you to tell, say to you, you need to give up. You need to quit the charade. And you need to stop going through the motions. You have an identity crisis. And the authors of the book go so far as to say you've developed a slave mentality. You don't think you're family because you don't think you're good enough to be his child. So you're on a level of a slave or maybe worse to God. It's the mentality that we find in Luke chapter 15 in a story that Jesus told to illustrate the heart and the love of his father God. You know it as a story of the prodigal son. Now, I am not going to tell it in detail, but I am going to give you the rough rough idea of what it says. You can look at this in Luke chapter 15. The Bible uh, tells a story. Jesus is speaking and he says there was a man who had two sons. Apparently he was some kind of farmer, had a lot of property. And I just said, if you don't mind me throwing in a little bit of paraphrase, and a lot of this is conjecture, I'll tell you that. I'm going to try to, of course, stay true to the word. But in my mind, I can see this being some kind of farm and these Two sons are working on this farm, and it's hard work. They're working for their dad, and day in and day out they have to because the, the business uh, demands it in order to make a living, in order to supply what they need. There's a lot of physical labor, and I imagine I'm looking into the eyes of some people who have worked hard during your life, at least for a period of time. You know what it is to get exhausted. You know what it is to exert yourself. You know what it is to work, 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 work. Some of you may even relate to these boys having a parent that you worked for and worked with. I've worked alongside my dad when I was growing up. My dad was a maniac, okay? He's just one of those guys. He had two speeds. When it worked, it was work and stop. And his idea of work was to go fast. And so we didn't just go slowly when we finished drywall. We moved out because we got paid per sheet. And so you didn't have time. Our lunch break was 10 minutes long. My dad was a maniac. And he could outwork so many people. He's so good at what he did. He's so quick. And for me to 
to try to keep up with him. All I wanted for him to say when I worked with him was good job. And my dad was old school. You were doing a good job if he wasn't telling you you were doing a bad job. You weren't getting good job. That's just expected out of you. So anyway, maybe these young men were just really working hard for their dad. They were trying very hard. And somewhere along the line, the youngest of the two got looking around and perhaps he had friends around who seemed to have life that was a little bit better than him. Somehow, in his mind, at least he got in his heart that, you know what, life on the outside of this hardworking farm or whatever his dad was doing is a lot better for and would be a lot better for me. I'm tired of his rules. I'm tired of having to get up every day so early and work so long. And all I do is do what my dad says. And I'm just sick of all. this and at some point he did something that just let me tell you especially in that culture was the height of disrespect if I can paraphrase it to tell you what it amounted to it amounted to him going to his father here's this young brass young man and he goes to his dad and he basically said these words what through his actions and through his words he said dad as of right now you are dead to me and I demand, and the Bible says, he demanded that his father, who had, a, who had a legal obligation to do this, I demand that you give me all of my inheritance that I'm going to get when you really die. Because I don't want you in my life anymore. I don't want your rules anymore. I'm leaving. And he demands it from his father. And the Bible says his father divided his inheritance out to him. Also to the older son. And it was a disgraceful, disrespectful way for him to treat his dad. And as soon as he could make all of his assets liquid, the Bible says it wasn't very long that he left home and in his mind never to return again. He was going to take his considerable inheritance and he was going to live on it and he was going to have a good time. The issue for the young man was that he was foolish. I don't know how else to put it. First of all, foolish for doing this to his dad. But but beyond all of that, he just knew he knew it all. He just knew that he was uh, knew what to do with his money better than his dad did. And so he left the protection of his home and he took all of his inheritance with him. And the Bible tells us very clearly what he did. He began to party and live uh, and live it up with wild women. He began to spend it on sex and and partying. And, you know, it's strange. But if you finance it, there are a whole lot of people who are willing to come along with you. And so I'm, I can see him just squandering his money. And that's what the Bible uses uh, for the word. Squandered his wealth. He squandered all this money that he had. He was in a faraway country. He, he moved far away from home. He had wandered not just to the next town, but far away he had gone. Probably had nice transportation on the way out there. And so he's out there and he's living it up and he's not intelligent with his money at all. He wasted and suddenly he's out of money. And this is another odd thing that happens in the story. And I know this will shock you, but as soon as he was out of money, he was out of friends. He was out of girlfriends. He was out of everything. Suddenly now he's very alone. And the Bible says these words. He began to be in want to describe what that really means is he began to starve to death. And I can see him selling off jewelry or whatever he might have acquired and trying to just survive. And he loses his, he can't pay to stay where he's, he's staying probably. And it gets worse and worse and worse. And then a mighty famine hits the land that he is in. And he can't find any way to survive. And so he, he knows that he has to hire himself out. Well, he's got farming experience. 
He goes around and he's hoping to, to get some position on a farm. And what he finds is the lowest position that anybody who lived in the land and that culture that day would have to do. He had to feed the pigs. Even a modern day pig farm is an unpleasant place. Let me just say that. And forgive me if you've ever made your living raising pigs. I know it's an honest day's living, but it's horrible. It stinks. It's bad. I lived close to a pig farm once. I didn't like that very much. I didn't. Flies and all that like it, but I didn't like it. But anyway, this man was out there, and here's what the Bible said. He began to be so hungry that while he was feeding the pigs, he looked down at the food that he was giving the pigs, pods and and just this slop. He began to look at that, and he began to desire it for himself and began to probably eat it. Yes, ill. Absolutely ill. And so he's out there and it's a very unpleasant thing to work around pigs. I, again, I'm not going to get in a whole lot of detail, but, but uh, they're stubborn. They're obstinate. They're just difficult. They're pigs. And so he's out there and he reaches a point where he has nobody to help him. Nobody that cares about him. By this time, he's sick. He's eating pig slop. It's not nutritious to him. And he is dying. And the Bible says that out there in that pig pen, he came to a census. That's what the Bible said. Suddenly a flash goes through his mind. And where does his mind go? But to his father. He begins to think about how good his dad was. And suddenly this man who was dead to him wasn't so bad after all. And suddenly life on the farm and living under dad's rules wasn't as bad as he had thought originally. And he begins to look at that, and the Bible says that he he made a decision out there. And again, forgive me, this is a lot of speculation on my part, okay? But I can imagine him stepping up to a pig to practice a speech and sort of looking into the eyes of a pig and saying, Dad, I've sinned against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you let me be your slave? Can I be your servant? Can I be your slave? Because he realized that the slaves on the farm were treated much better than he was being treated. And he knew he wasn't, in his mind, good enough to be a son. He wasn't going to ask it that. He had written him off. He said, you're dead to me. And I killed that relationship. He knew that in his mind, it was over. It was done. He had blown it. But if he could just be a slave, he would, he would get food. He would be treated well by a kind master. That's what he was thinking. And so the boy goes home. He, and I don't think the journey home was very easy. And that's a whole other message. Church, we need to remember that when somebody falls away from God, it's hard to come back. And the journey home is difficult. And it's difficult to walk into a church, when, especially when people know something about how you fell away. It takes a lot of guts. And so may we never be guilty of the older brother's sin. That's a whole other message that I won't preach today. But this young man comes to the conclusion that many of us have. I've, because I've fallen so far short, because I've offended my father, because I have wandered so far away from him, because I have squandered all of my opportunities and my resources, I'm no longer worthy to be called a child. If I can just be a servant, it fits me better anyway. It's still more than I deserve, but it's good enough. But here's a powerful truth in this story that Jesus told. And... And you and I must see this part of this story of Jesus. The father would have none 
of the pitiful, wretched, unworthy slave speech. He wouldn't hear it. What the Bible says of this father, and I love this. You see, this is a father. And he's looking every single day, I believe, and in my mind's eye, he's looking down that road that makes its way to the farm. And he's just waiting for the silhouette of his son to appear on the horizon. He had not given up. He had not uh, written his son off, even though later he would say this son who was dead is alive again. He would watch. And the Bible tells us that when the boy appeared on the horizon from a long ways off, the father saw him and lit out after him, ran To his son. And see that's the thing that you and I need to understand. Here today about how God views people. He ran out to greet his son. He embraced his son. He welcomed the return of his son. Not a slave. Not a servant. His son. He put a robe and sandals and a ring on his son. He celebrated the homecoming of his boy. This wayward son. Not runaway slave. But wayward runaway son. Had returned home. And that's how God viewed him. The boy had underestimated the heart of his father. To his shock and amazement, his father's arms were around him. To his shock and amazement, his father wasn't listening to his speech. Instead, he was kissing him on his cheek and demanding that the servants bring the robe and the sandal and the ring and to make him back in the family, bring him alive again. And he was shocked when his father said, let's throw a celebration. This son of mine was dead, but he's welcome home today. He's alive. Here's something that you and I need to realize today. If we who are human beings know how to love our children, and we use the word, we throw this word around a lot in our society, unconditionally, If we have that capacity, and I said what my capacity compared to God's capacity of love is. If I had that capacity, why would I ever doubt that the Father in heaven, who has a heart to be my father, would ever want me to come home and act like a slave? He's not going to hear that speech, my friend. And he's not going to tolerate in your heart that mentality. That's slave mentality. And so that's something, that's why God would have us make a shift. That's why he would let, he would want us to move forward. I love when when John says, and that is what we are, children of God. Many here today need to make this shift. We need to stop acting like God sees us as a slave or unworthy. And we need to make the shift over to child. We need to stop underestimating the love of our father. And we need to accept the fact that we are his sons and his daughters. We need to feel that robe going around our shoulders again. And we need to feel his embrace. And we need to feel the kiss on our cheek. And the ring slid on our finger. And the sandals back on our feet. We need to feel his embrace of love and mercy again. Until we believe with all of our hearts that we are his child. We need to hear his voice say, welcome home child. We need to understand that that's God. And we need to receive our father's mercy and and allow Satan and his dark forces to get behind us in the name of Jesus. Because God loves us today. Listen, that's who I am. 
That's who I am. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. I am that when I sing on key and sing well. And I am that when I can't sing a lick. And I have those days. I am that when people love me. And and I'm shocked by how much they love me. And I am that when people hate my guts. I am a child of God. And we need to make that shift. Now before I go any further in the sermon. I do know. And I know some of you have gone here because you're theologians. And some of you say, well, wait a minute now. Paul called himself a slave to Jesus Christ. He himself said that he was a chief of all sinners and the least of all the apostles because he had persecuted the church in ignorance. And I know that he said those things. And I do understand that he spoke about being a servant and a slave to Christ. And he truly was one. But please understand that Paul also knew that he was a child of God. It was he who penned the words in Romans chapter 8 verse 18. Which says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. When he spoke of being the Lord's slave. He was referring to his unique calling. You see, God gave Paul a very specific ministry, unlike anybody else in the New Testament in many ways. The nature of his assignment was to minister for free. That was God's will for him to the Gentiles. Do without, to be hungry. That was God's will for for Paul. He was to be tired and cold sometimes and persecuted and beaten for the faith. And God preordained all of that before it ever happened. It was his work. He was to work like a slave. However, Paul's identity was in Christ. He was a child of God in his heart. And he would even say, for me to live is Christ. He understood that he was God's son, but his calling made him a slave. I'm talking about something a little different here. That you are a child of God. And it is time for us to move from a slave's mentality with God over to a child's mentality. Why is this shift so important for us to make? I've already started down this road. The soul shift is important because when a Christian walks around with a slave's mentality in regards to their identity, they're robbed of joy by their own stinking thinking. Because they look at themselves differently than God looks at them. And I remind you of something because we get guilty of rating ourselves and rating other people and comparing ourselves with other people. And I need to say something to you. And I hope this doesn't burst your bubble too much. There's no such thing as a degree of Christianity. Either you is or you ain't. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either a child of God or you're nothing. You're not born again or anything. So if you are a Christian, you can't really use the terminology, I'm not a good Christian. There's no such thing. There's no rating. You're either saved or you're not saved. And it's a weakness that we have in our minds that we don't look at other people and say, that's a better Christian than me. No, if they're saved, they're a Christian. Praise God. I'm as much of a Christian as Billy Graham is. Now, Billy Graham has done a lot greater stuff than I have, and I'm, I, I, I admire him and respect him for the things he has done. But I'm saved. Jesus saved me as thoroughly as he saved Billy Graham. And he did the same for you if you're a child of God. People with a slave mentality fall into the trap that they're just not a good enough person or a good enough Christian. And that's not how your father sees you. 
And when a Christian walks around feeling like a bad Christian, like somebody who squandered opportunities and resources, somebody who's wasted their lives, like somebody who messed up and is unworthy when compared to the good children, then they take on this slave mentality and they don't have joy, they don't have purpose, they don't have hope. And as the authors have pointed out, the whole time Jesus is right there beside them saying, you don't know who you are, but I do. I know who you are. Friends, Here's one of the problems with a slave mentality. People use this slave orientation of thinking to justify not doing anything for God. I'm not good enough to teach. I don't deserve to teach. I'm not worthy to stand on that platform. I'm too messed up. I'm not a good Christian. And that's straight out of the pit. People just get paralyzed and say, I can't do anything for God because I'm too messed up. And then they start the whole behavior modification trail. They say, if I can just fix myself and and just not lose it all the time or just not mess up. I said this to you before. Man, it would be so much easier for us human beings if there was actually a way that we could appear before the Lord God and say, God, look, I'm messed up here. And I'm just going to throw this one out because this has been an issue with me in my life before. I have a bad temper. Lord, I just get so mad. If I'm driving down the road and somebody throws up your, the, your number one at me, uh, they, they put their finger up and salute me that way. Boy, I just want to slam them. I want to just run them off the road. Lord, I get so mad at them and, and, and I want to call them names and I want to, I just get so mad. Wouldn't it be so great if we could appear before God and just say, this is who I am. Now, God, here I am. Fix me. Make it better. And then somehow God would just say, there, there you go. Now, you'll never lose your temper on the road again. Wouldn't that be awesome? There would be some of us who would stand in line. If we had to get up here and and openly confess some of our sins, we would do it if God would do that for us. I never want to lust again, Lord. I want you to take it away. Lord, just make it go away. That, that would be great. But here's what God does. He works inwardly and he shifts our souls. And it's not instantaneous. Do we understand that today? But this is an important shift to make. We need to lay aside the whole, I'm a poor, wretched, pitiful slave speech because the father doesn't want to hear it. What the Father wants to do is transform us by His power and His work. The bottom line, why it's so important to make this from our core uh, of our beings and uh, on the way out, is until we do, we live these defeated, subpar lives. We see, we we act like slaves. You see, slaves cannot accept the fact that their master, even a good master, looks like looks at them like a child. And when they go to ask their master, if a slave ever asked their master for a gift, it was it was master. I'm I'm hoping this is a good moment. And and I was wondering, could you give me something? Can I ask you the last time your child did that to you, please? If you're a good mom and a good dad, you know that you, how your kid is going to ask you for something. They're going to see something in the store. You're going to be walking. And this happens all the time. I love to watch people in the shopping malls. It's awesome for me. I love that. With little kids. And I'm glad I'm not suffering like this anymore. But, man, kids see something that they want. Daddy, can I have? 
job. And they're so bold, aren't they? They just ask. Why do they ask like that? Because they know dad loves them. They know dad's not going to beat them for asking them for a new car to play with or, well, Xbox or whatever it is, you know. They're just going to be bold. They're going to ask their parent, right? That's just how it is. Daddy can have. And it's usually little girls to get anything they want. Daddy. Can I please have a Barbie or whatever it is, you know, and and there's a boldness to it and all. Here's why this shift is important, because it changes our prayer life, because if we approach God in prayer like we're slaves to him, then we don't believe in our heart of hearts that the father cares very much enough for us to give us what we're asking for. But when we come as a child, we know he already loves us. And the only thing we need to remember is sometimes no is the most kind answer he can give us. Do you remember, parents, when your child asked for something that was bad for them? I did that when I was a kid. I wanted I wanted stuff that I, I wanted. Dad, when I was 13 years old, he had this old car. And I said, Dad, it would be the coolest thing if you would give me this old car and I could just drive it around in the field. And yes, there's what's happening there. I said, my dad looked at me and and you know why he said no? Not because he wanted to rob me of a good time. It's because he knew me. He knew I'd kill myself out there in that car. Because I had no ability really to drive that well, but I thought I could handle the car. And it was just an old car. It was sitting around. It still ran. I said, Dad, just let me drive it. Just let me take it in the field all by myself. And he said, no, you'll kill yourself. Sometimes God the Father will tell us no, and it's because he loves us. Do we get that? Sometimes we really think we know what God should do for us, and we're wrong. So we got to be ready for that. But if you pray to God like you're a child of God, then you believe in your heart and your mind that the Father loves you and He hears your prayers. So when you're asking for healing, you come as a child. And that makes a difference in the way you approach the, the Father in heaven. You trust His heart, you trust His love, and you ask Him boldly, Dad, may I please have healing. When you ask your Father in heaven for things, it changes your whole approach and your life. And it changes the way you live your life. You live in freedom. You don't walk around waiting for the lightning bolt out of the sky because a bad thought just came into your mind. You know you're a child. You know that God loves you. And you understand that. This is in no way putting a license to sin deliberately against the Lord God. In fact, we read about that this morning. No one who deliberately keeps on sinning is of God. No one. That's what we read today. You will do righteousness when you're a child of God. and You'll want to do righteousness when you're a child of God. And you will hate sin when you're a child of God. But you don't need to walk around like you're some kind of unworthy slave servant that doesn't deserve to pray to the Lord. It it affects the way you live. Here's the thing. Once we make a shift from slave to child, our life circumstances have very little bearing on our capacity to have joy. Here's the thing we know. No matter how bad it gets here, we have a hope up there. Amen. That's one of the things I loved about doing Dolores' funeral service. And I heard it from her own family. She was anxious for her time to come for her to stop breathing here so she could be breathing up heaven's air. Amen. That's what she wanted for a long time. She was excited for the moment that she got to be with the Lord. And you know what? She went through a lot here on earth. I'll just tell you, she was sick a lot, but she was a child and she acted like a child of God. And she was just looking forward because she knew no matter how bad it gets here, one day it's going to get great. 
And when you're a child, you can live that way. Amen. You know, God has good things for you. You know, God will bless you. You trust in him and you believe. And so it's something that we have to make, that we make this shift. Let me move on. There's a lot of other things I could have said, but I'm going to move on. How does this soul shift get made? How do we make this shift in our minds? And how does it happen in our life? I'm going to ask for Andrew to come to the platform and begin to play because this is a very brief point. It's simple. Here's what I recommend. Leave slave land and come home to your father. Don't even try the I'm not worthy of God to be your child speech because he's not going to hear it. Just let him run to you and let the father throw his arms around you. And accept his embrace. And let him weep over you. And let him kiss your cheek. And let the father slip a robe of righteousness back around your back. Have you blown it? Do you feel like you're a slave because of the way that you've acted. And that you're unworthy of God's love. Can can we all just relax and take a sigh here. And just all just agree on something that I believe is very biblical. There's nobody in this room. Or in this world. Worthy of being called a child of God. Amen. I'm not a child of God because I deserve to be. I'm a child of God because God loves me. And because Jesus died for me on the cross. Jesus makes me worthy. That's the only way. So can we relax a little bit and just admit nobody's worthy. I don't care how good of a Christian somebody is. I promise you they blow it. And I promise you they're unworthy. I know I am. But can we just put our little speech aside and sense the father wrapping his arms and saying, welcome home, child, daughter, thank you for coming back to me. I'm celebrating that you're here. Can we let the father put the sandals on our barren feet and put the robe around our back and the ring back on our finger that says you're my child? Can we receive that welcome back? From the Lord God. And can we say, you know what? I want to leave slave land. I don't want to live out there and do those things anymore. I want to embrace the father and I want to be home. I want to be with him. And we see his tearful smile. Can we hear his voice? Welcome us home. Can we stop doubting that he loves us and start believing that he loves us more than we can ever imagine? Come home, not as a slave, but as a child. Get that long embrace in your father's arms today. Just let him love you. Just let him say to you, I sent Jesus for you too. And you you deserve this because I say you deserve this. Get this book, if you will, later. Read this chapter. There are many scriptural references to what I preach to fortify what I've been talking about. There are so many privileges and promises belonging to Jesus Christ. Read these things in that chapter and and believe them. Go from measuring up to believing. Go from trying to just trusting the Lord. And go from slave to being a child. Are you ready to come home? Are you ready for this shift in your soul? Are you ready to take that step? I'm going to call you to a very public step. Last night I did this and. Virtually everybody responded. If you are ready to go on record and say, listen, I'm not a slave. I'm a child. I'm just asking you to do 
a simple thing to declare that with me. I'm asking you to stand to your feet and just give notice. I'm a child of God. I belong to him. And if you're not, you can be today. If you will make that declaration today, you can stand and you can say, by God's help, I'm trusting him to be his child. I'm your child, oh God.